Good evening and welcome to NCLCA Today, a podcast dedicated to educating individuals assisting college and university students along the road to academic success. I'm your host, Patricia Hartley. And I am your host, Kelsey Fischel. Today, we sit down with guest Dr. P. Brandon Johnson from the University of Texas at Dallas to discuss his work in building initiatives both within learning centers and in the larger learning center community. Before we sit down with our guests, let's check in with this episode's sponsor, TutorMe.com. During the last year, the ability to provide accessible and robust academic support for students during COVID-19 has been a challenge across higher education institutions. TutorMe, an online tutoring provider and an NCLCA member and vendor partner, has been actively coordinating efforts with colleges, universities, and K-12 schools to meet these new student support needs and is ready to bring their support to your institution. As NCLCA members prepare for the upcoming school year, we face the unique challenge of helping a large population of students get back on track. Learning centers are already preparing for the influx of incoming freshmen this fall who have been impacted by a full year of academic disruption, which has reduced student engagement and preparedness for the college transition. Putting additional tutoring support in place for these first-year students can help address the COVID slide and support their successful transition into post-secondary education. TutorMe can help institutions with these initiatives by supplementing existing support programs with 24-7 online access to academic experts in over 300 subject areas. TutorMe works with college and university administrators to create a seamless single sign-on experience that allows students quick and easy access to tutors regardless of time of day or location. This flexibility allows students, including non-traditional students who often have to balance additional scheduling considerations, to feel supported and engaged at the times that work best for their busy schedules. Students can instantly connect with an expert tutor outside of class and faculty office hours and when other on-campus services are unavailable. We all know that it takes high-quality tutors to help students both excel in their coursework and build confidence in their academic skills. While learning centers are already offering highly trained and knowledgeable tutors on campus, TutorMe can help ensure students have that same experience online. TutorMe's rigorous hiring process only accepts 4% of applicants, so the tutors that students connect with through TutorMe are of the highest quality, well-vetted, and trained to facilitate learning by guiding and supporting student inquiry and discovery, not simply by providing answers. With TutorMe, students can be confident in the knowledge that they will always have support available. TutorMe knows that every learning center has a unique set of needs, so they work with each school to find a service model that fits within its budget and provides the support its students demand. The variety of service models that TutorMe offers includes an equity plan in which each enrolled student can get access to a set number of tutoring hours per week, as well as hourly plans with discounted rates on bulk purchases. Best of all, TutorMe provides easy-to-access data on its services. TutorMe's easy-to-use administrative tools provide on-demand data analysis and reporting to track student progress and identify common areas where students are struggling in their courses. Additionally, all student tutoring sessions are recorded and archived and available for administrative review. TutorMe has been recognized by the National Parenting Choice Awards, Mom's Choice Awards, EdTech Digest Awards, and Edison Awards for Education. Contact TutorMe today to learn more about their platform or to schedule a demo. Email partners at tutorme.com or visit their website at tutorme.com to fill out a request for more information. Today, we are sitting down with Dr. P. Brandon Johnson, Associate Dean for the Office of Undergraduate Education at the University of Texas at Dallas. 
Dr. Johnson began his career in the Center for Excellence at North Carolina Agricultural and Technical State University, where he developed and coordinated living learning communities that provided academic support and mentorship to targeted student populations with a focus on African-American male students. From that moment on, Dr. Johnson has continued to be an active member in the Learning Center community, presenting webinars, preparing publications, presenting at conferences, writing grants, running pre-conference sessions, participating in committees, sitting on boards, and helping start NCLCA affiliates in two different states. In his free time, Dr. Johnson dedicates himself to supporting the continued personal and professional development of his staff, peers, and students. Welcome to the SOAP Show, Dr. Johnson. Thank you both. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for the invite. It's an honor having you. And the fact that we know you from Florida, now you're in Texas. I feel like with our Texas affiliates, like it's all just, you know, we enjoy you in this in this atmosphere and in this specific area of academia. Um, with that being said, why don't you tell our audience who you are and then how you begin your career in higher education? Yeah, no problem. Uh, that was a fantastic introduction uh, and Brief bio, Kelsey. Thank you for that. Um, that. That really encapsulates pretty much everything. Uh, I was like, wow, she's still reading. Okay, <laughs> that's a lot on there. <laughs> the, uh, the Reader's Digest version of my, of my bio. Um, I'll, I'll send it like two sentences and then we'll, <laughs> we'll pass it on for the next round. Um, so I'm Dr. Brandon Johnson, uh, Brandon, um, for the conversation. And of course, I'm, I'm Associate Dean in the Office of Undergraduate Education at the University of Texas at Dallas. And really what that means is I have charge over the student success and high impact practices and pre-professional advising programs within the Office of Undergraduate Education. So the Learning Center of course reports to me, but also mentoring programs, um, freshman and transfer, undergraduate research, a financial literacy program, the campus food pantry, uh, a pre-law and pre-health uh, advising centers. I think that's it should be. There's probably something else um, that I'm forgetting, but it's very student forward and really focused on, on engaging the students and making sure they have the best experience possible. How I began my career in higher ed. Well, my background is actually in public relations. Um, I have a, a bachelor and a master's degree in journalism, mass communication with the concentration in public relations. Yeah. Uh, so I was in, in the corporate world and destination marketing um, for a while. Uh, had my own business, um, short stint, but you know I was succumbed to departmental restructuring, and so they eliminated my position. And I, I spent, of course, my master's degree was at the University of Georgia, and my mentor uh, called me. Actually, it was a Gmail chat. Like I remember this vividly because I was sitting in in my lazy boy, like staring out of the window, the sliding glass door of my apartment going, man, I need a job. Uh, and so I'm job searching. And then she just pops up on Gmail chat. And it's like, hey, I have this program that I need some help assessing. I'm like, I can do that. You know, that's, that's fine. And she knew me from Georgia working with the Graduate Professional Scholars, which is a minority grad student organization. Um, I was president for a year. And that's how I started. That job was at North Carolina a t which is my undergraduate alma mater. And that summer stint of helping to assess a male mentoring program turned into a full-time position, uh, being the coordinator of the, the Black Male Retention Program, which then transitioned to a living learning community uh, engagement program. And that was the start, April 
2009, I believe, was, was my formal introduction into to higher education. Welcome to hiring. Employee. <laughs> yeah, yes. April 2009. I feel like I need to make sure that I write that down. Thank you so much for telling us about your journey in higher ed. Yeah, it was good. It, it was unexpected. I'd always thought I'll get to higher ed after, you know, I'm VP in some communications firm and then I'll, I'll go teach and share the knowledge and boy, it didn't work out that way. Uh, did not see this one coming, but it, you know, every day there's, there's a challenge, but it, it feels right doing what I do. So for my question for you, so you kind of touched on this, right? How you came in with this um, project March and what you were doing in that. So um, I also, you know, that's that I'm kind of into like programs for students coming in and trying to like build those communities and stuff. But I think that for a lot of people who are trying to do work like that, create these programs, there's sort of this like hurdle of the first step, like where do you even start doing that kind of work? So could you talk a little more about the process of developing that program? And do you have any recommendations for someone who might be looking to do something similar at their own institution? Uh, sure. So the program was kind of already in existence, just nowhere near its current form. And it has since transitioned into something a lot larger. So the, the program that uh, my colleague Jason Moore and I, he's up at Rutgers right now, um, changed was after the assessment we did you know SWOT analysis and did some interviews and so the program was just very bare bones there were two coordinators and they just talked with students right with the hope of something larger like their conversations would impact them and they go oh yes that's it but there's really nothing else with it so the change happened after assessment and i think that's one of the most important lessons anyone can learn when they are trying to start something new or improve upon existing programming. Get your data, understand what the needs of the program are, and then look at what areas that it's missing. Um, for our instance, it was, you know, it was lacking engagement. There were no formal learning outcomes and objectives for the students. Being a participant in this program, you will whatever. And so we needed to add that structure. And when you add outcomes and objectives, then you can build things to achieve those outcomes. Um, and so it, it didn't start out with the LLC. The LLC really came after year two of, of us going through this first year of exploration. So we assessed, and then we, we started our, our first recruitment campaign. Uh, we had support from the department because it was already in our, in our space. Um, so we didn't really need that, uh, you know, that addressed. So we had university commitment and support. There was just a, a disconnect with the students and what we were trying to do. So the first year, our first cohort, uh, I'm not even going to try to remember how many they are. I'm still in contact with most of them, actually. Um, but it was really uh, informal workshops, you know, based on study skills and, you know, test taking, how to be successful during your first year, how to make that transition from high school to college was, was the focus of the program. And in addition to the workshops, we held individual like, advising sessions. Um, now that I think about it, it was a, a blend of coaching and advising because in that position, I was an academic counselor. So I helped them with classes, but then our conversations always transitioned to, to life and, and things and how can they balance the two. Um, so it was this, 
high touched model uh, that we worked with. We wanted to see them as often as possible. Uh, often we would see them in the calf and we would just walk and sit down or we'd see them walking on campus and we'd take a moment, you know, if they're in between class and, and just give them that, that time to, to talk and attention. So it was very high touch and we really got to know those gentlemen quite well. And so that was the, the first year. We went, okay, I think we can do this, but we need to take this, you know, and again, we evaluated. So we evaluate every semester. So how did fall semester look? What were your experiences? What can we learn from what we did in the fall so we can make some changes for spring? So we did that. We touched upon some things. We transitioned some academic focused workshops to more social based workshops for the spring like all right we want you to have a strong gpa for fall semester and now we want you to just kind of blend in and, and work on that social integration so this this program was uh, was based off Tendo, right so we had the social and the academic um, components and so we wanted to hit that social in the spring and after spring semester we took the summer to really think about what we did and said we know we need something a little more engaging hey we know some people in residence life and we've been to a couple of conferences and llc's were kind of big around that time and so like, let's let's bring let's try and do a living learning community for for you know first year black men okay we had no idea what we're getting into honestly um, but it's it's leveraging networks and relationships we knew folks in housing uh, we brought the proposal Again, we, you know, our boss at that point, Dr. Ford, was amazing. She's like, go for it, do it. Um, I'm with you 100%. You know? But we had to come correct with her first. Uh, <laughs> she's like, you're not leaving my department with trash. So <laughs> you, you've got to be on point when you talk to me about it. All your areas need to be taken care of. All right, good. Once, I'm, once I sign off on it, go for it. So when she approves, we're fine. And it, it wasn't a hurdle of bureaucracy. She wanted to make sure that everything was done correctly and we presented the best case um, for whatever it was that we were asking for. So housing was a little, a little iffy, but you know, we won them over with data and, and smiles and said, fine, we'll try it. And you know, working with them was really easy. We got in touch with the, the assignments coordinator and he was helping us with room blocks. We were sending out personalized invitation letters. Like it just grew to a, a way to where we can directly invite this student. Like you are invited to participate in this program that is geared to help you be successful your first year in college. And I think it, it was off to the races after that. So to, to summarize assessment on the front end, um, persistence all the way through, uh, but keep assessing as you're going and making sure that you know those course course corrections are are necessary don't just do stuff just to do it uh, yeah. figure out what it is that you need to do and change it yeah and i think that's such like an important point what you said about like having your kind of having your ducks in a row when you go to the first person and the next person that it's like if you don't know exactly what you're fighting for and why you're fighting for it and how you're going to fight for it it starts to show the further down the chain you go and so if you take that time on the front, I think sometimes people are like, ah, it's a lot of details. We'll figure it out once we're going. But it's like, if you know those now, mm-hmm. you'll be able to answer the questions later and go in with the smiles and the confidence. Yeah. Because you know what you're fighting for. I think, and just thinking back to the question a little bit more, we were able to leverage a report that our institution 
and the state system put out that was putting it, placing an emphasis on African-American male retention. Mm -hmm. And that was everywhere in our proposals. UNC system report said this, therefore all the system schools are emphasizing, you know, this particular initiative. So we are doing this. So we are in line with the state. So if you say no, then, you know, that's, so if you're trying to start something new, you know, look for existing like legislation, uh, look at the strategic plan of your institution, something that you can tie it to and say, this will help move or address metrics that the university is trying to, um, to work toward. And that's a, that's a strong anchor for any proposal and usually will help at least get you in the door. Uh, I'm gonna throw it out there because I know that everybody has heard through the interview of you just kind of talking specifically from your method from beginning to end, but then also just the, um, I would say, yes, the details of whatever the data is that you had, it also had the integrity component to go along with it, to also go back to legislation, to tie it in with the strategic plan, to then probably tie it into uh, goals for the division or the department, and then objectives for the program. And I think that, you know, really mapping those things out really do make it a lot easier when you're smiling and you're grinning and you're going through the proposal process because you feel more confident uh, along the way. And as Kelsey was saying about the data and the proof and that kind of thing, you have to basically know right now a lot of those things so that when you go further along, it doesn't get um, lost. <laughs> we can say the details, but um, it sounds like y'all had everything that you needed from the beginning. And I, I wanna piggyback this piggyback that I, this is not the official next question, but with the climate <laughs> that has been going on in our society, specifically last summer, um, the Black Lives Matter movement, how important do you think these types of living learning support systems are for campuses? It could be seen uh, both ways. So there has always been, I won't say always, uh, for quite a while, there has been an argument against having single race or single gender type programming or things that focus on uh, you know you will hear the this term of you know reverse racism or reverse segregation um, so there is always going to be those opponents of having these type of programs across campuses and my response is you know these are ways to foster belonging for mm -hmm. marginalized groups mm -hmm where they don't feel comfortable in certain spaces. And for a large number of folks, it's tough to understand those experiences. And I don't think we want you to, or you know, expect you to, to feel that way. Just want you to understand that we need some spaces that help them to de-stress, to feel like they are a part of a, of a community. And so these programs, have continued to be this safe space for for these groups where code switching doesn't have to happen mm. uh, where they can feel like you know their brothers and sisters and are part of something a little bit larger and yet smaller than this institution that has 30,000 students in there uh, i can speak to being a graduate student at the University of Georgia and 
in, in our master's program, there were three, yeah, three black men, myself and two others out of out the whole cohort for that year. Um, and we created a small community and that helped us deal with all of the stuff that was happening at, at, at Georgia. I mean, there's, I digress. Um, so these, these communities, these LLCs, these programs are, are meant to, to help and I think also to educate. You know, there is a space for, for the allies and the advocates um, to, to help with these programs and to also create a space where they can use their privilege as allies and advocates to bring in their people, their friends, and help learn about these things. Um, so I, I think they're very important still in the, the fight to enhance belonging and transition and acclimation on campus. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. I, I definitely agree with that. And I think one of the things that um, you, the University of Central Florida did um, back in, I think it was the summer of 2016, the post tragedy had just happened in Orlando. And then not too long after that, um, we saw some um, killings via Facebook Live of um, Black men. And so I think that really did push the institution to, as the president of the university, actually declared that Black Lives Mattered. And I think, you know, when you're thinking about those types of challenges that may be, that you may face on your campus, getting that higher level of leadership involved to declare that, like, this is what the institution is about. This is um, how we're going to make sure that our um, students are included at all times. Um, I think that that's, that's very important too for any institutions who might be listening and, and wanting to know which direction to go. So I will uh, digress from my question because I feel like I already asked. So I'm gonna let Kelsey then go with her question. <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna go on um, to talk about, so we talk about communities within our campus. Um, so speaking of kind of creating those smaller communities, I know like you were saying when they come with about like race or culture, there's kind of this idea of like, oh, it's well exclusive, but we have them. We have a learning center community. We have things for all these other topics. So I would like to talk about a learning center one with you. Um, so you're currently membership secretary for NCLCA uh, and you have served as vice president for FCLCA and you are now a board member for TXCLCA as the immediate past president. Um, yeah. So <laughs> clearly very involved with NCLCA and with this kind of organization. So I guess my first part would be like, how do you get so involved? Because I'm sure to some people they're like, well, he's doing something special that lets him be involved. He's got friends that like him or something. Like it's not the same. So like, how do you become that involved? And what is the value specifically in these um, state or regional affiliates that you clearly champion so much for? So I'll tackle the, the how do you get involved? I think that's for some might be the most difficult. You gotta get out of your comfort zone. It, that's probably the most important thing. There are a lot of, um, there's a lot of good to these organizations and, and a lot of good that they do, but the leadership is only as good as those who volunteer. So this is a, an open call for anyone, regardless of, of position, skill level, time spent in a learning center, whatever knowledge and, and experience and, you know, whether it's learning center or life experience, it has value and it can add value and texture to 
your organization. Uh, it can add value and texture to your learning center. There's a reason why you were hired. And for NCLCA or your regional affiliates, they need people who come from various backgrounds, um, various experience levels. And that's, once you get past the, oh, it's a board member, no. It, someone with one year, you know, just take a chance. You know, put yourself in, nominate yourself or get a coworker to nominate you and, and see what happens. You, know, you, you might get elected. Uh, it's kind of what happened to me. Uh, so it's, it's fun, but you know, don't let your, your job title prevent you from, from stepping out there and doing something that's potentially fantastic. Um, so yeah, get out of your comfort zone, just take a leap of faith uh, or, or courage, uh, whatever, and you'll just take a chance. It's, it's almost like the, what was it that movie with Jim Carrey or something, but he couldn't say no. It was, you always had to say yes. So you're going to serve? Yes, I will try. And that's, I think that's all we ask, uh, ask for. You know, NCLCA is important because it really is this umbrella that the learning centers community can really look at and not just for best practices, but camaraderie. I think the conferences are probably the best conference uh, ever. I really look forward to NCLCA and I've been to a lot of different organizational conferences and NCLCA is just feels like the most family friendly conference. It's like some big reunion with a lot of people who you've never met, but it's like, it doesn't matter because you sit down and, you know, by the end of the conference, you're trading email addresses and you actually send an email to that person instead of collecting the business cards <laughs> and then going, wow, I have a stack of cards and you, you put them in your, your filing cabinet. And then you don't know what you, if you're going to use them later on, or you forget to follow up with everybody that you, you met. And I can piggyback that. And I will honestly say that one of the first learning center conferences that I specifically went to was the Florida, the first one that they had in Florida, the Florida College Learning Center Association conference. And it was in Tallahassee at the time. And that's how I really started connecting. I feel with learning centers and not just like feeling alone in a learning center. At the time I was working at a different university, but it just kind of felt like I was trying to do things. And, you know, you try to ask around on campus, but their experience is limited depending on your size of campus or their experience with learning centers. And it really can be empowering. And what I love about NCLCA is it's been around long enough to have the history, the knowledge, the, um, the stability, um, it's a trusted organization. And on top of that, I feel there's leaders here who are willing to step aside or say, if you want to try that, let's try that. And you still have our support. And that's how Kelsey and I was able to do the podcast, honestly. Um, and But without that FCLCA first conference that I went to, which is an affiliate of NCLCA, I know that I wouldn't have had the confidence to continue on in the learning center feel like I've been able to. So yeah, I have to. That say that <laughs> uh, that's fantastic you know, as my membership secretary hat uh if you have not started an affiliate yet and you are in an area please you know consider it uh affiliates are i'll say i did not know about uh, nclca until i got to florida gulf coast mm. and my first experience to nclca was the nclca conference in Let's see, where were we? Were we at USF? Probably. Were we in Tampa? It's quite possible. Uh, but I was like, okay, I guess I'll go to this thing. 
sure, I'll learn about other learning centers. Uh, and it was, it was fantastic. And then I learned that there was a Florida version. Like, oh, okay, so we can really speak to things that are unique to, to the state. And, and that's really the value of, of the state affiliates. Now you get these broad sweeping uh, objectives and, and trends from a national perspective, but you know, within every state or region, you know, there's, there's laws, there's legislation that's going to affect how higher education works, funding, whether or not you can do X, Y, and Z. And that's where you can really leverage the state affiliate, right? You have these conversations about, well, our Senate just passed, you know, HR, blah, blah, blah. Okay, that's fine. How does that affect, you know, training with this? Do your tutors need to, you know, do you add another slide? What's training module? And, but folks in Texas or, you know, the Carolinas, they, they might not have that issue. So, there, there might not be a session at the NCLCA conference about that particular thing. However, you know, your regional and state affiliates, you can have two or three sessions about navigating state legislation. And that really adds another dimension to the efficacy of your learning center. So it's, and then also you get the benefit of networking with the folks in your state. Uh, some of the best times I remember in Florida were road trips to, the different schools over the summer you know, we drove to oh my goodness yeah we took a trip to, to usf we drove over to fiu fau i, I was just on some weird i want to see everybody kind of tour <laughs> uh, you know have rental car we'll travel <laughs> but it was fun and that's how you know i have great relationships with the folks at, at most of those institutions and it's because one the, the state affiliate meetings and just hopping in the car and traveling and talking to their other directors. I mean, it's, it's a great experience. Uh, I miss Texas is a little bit bigger, so don't, don't get that kind of travel. Uh, so, you know, Zoom meetings, Teams chats are, are probably the best way to go. Florida but- is so different in terms of the way it's set up. Like, I'm, it, I, I am a road tripper. I love to take road trips. I've been doing it for years since I was a kid. And I will say that in terms of the states that I've lived in, I've lived in three states, Texas, Louisiana, Florida. Florida is the easiest state to, to travel in. It's a gorgeous drive for the most part. And like, it's just, it's an easier way to travel through. But Texas is a lot, <laughs> definitely different when yes. it comes to the travel component, you know, of things and just the layout of each state, but that's what, going back to what you said, Dr. Johnson, it's just, you know, different states, different legislature, different legislation, different challenges that you might come across. But I think that is one of the things that makes it easier in Florida is because the travel is so, it's worth it. It's just Mm -hmm. so beautiful. It's gorgeous. Yeah. Okay. So now I will answer my, ask my question. I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Since speaking of Florida (laughs) and living here, you were working in Florida during hurricane Irma in 2017. And now you're in Texas where you just weathered a historic cold snap. Right. (laughs) Can you tell us about the process of preparing for these types of inclement weather events um, with your team? Probably you did that more in Florida, but specifically now that you have the experience in both Florida and Texas, can you share each? Yeah, it's funny. We, I've we've called it Snowmageddon. Uh, one of my colleagues called it Snowvid, just the, the combination of COVID and, and this. Yeah, it, it's 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 all different, right? Um, 
the the direct so our student success center has a director uh, that, that reports to me and she made the really the, the joke comment um that i was prepared so I, i've been using all this time to do like wilderness survival courses so i the last course was i spent five days in the woods with the clothes on my back and a knife you know i had to build a shelter you know no food it's like you were prepared for this and here i had had nothing you know it's just like i'm sorry um you know we didn't lose power we were extremely fortunate through the whole snowstorm um you know we were able to help out some folks so we we're very blessed in that situation uh, we did lose power during irma, uh, irma um, but it wasn't for that long and still you know we were able to to go out and cut some trees down and, and help other folks who you know had lost houses and you know just mucking houses getting all the stuff out from flooding um, so there's still a lot of service component wrapped up in, in disasters. Preparing for any type of disaster, I think one of the, for Irma, it was making sure that our team was okay. There was pretty steady text message string. Um, we decided to hunker down. We had actually, there's a theme here. We had just moved again. And I think a couple of weeks after our move, Irma hit. I'm like, okay, new house. Great, thank you, Hurricane. Um, but we were, you know, text messages, you know, who's safe, who has power, who doesn't. Some evacuated um, out of the state. And so we were just keeping track of that uh, somewhere closer to campus. So they were able to send some pictures back of, you know, about a foot of water in the, the main quad area of FGCU. And it's similar with snowpocalypse. Uh, <laughs> Because we had teams, I think it was a little easier also because everyone was still virtual. Um, but in that virtual environment, it was difficult to decide whether or not services still operated. So the university closed, but everyone was working from home. So we were going back and forth. Were they open? Do we close because the university closed? So we closed one day, the learning center, and then like the rest of the week, I think we opened back up. So it was back and forth. Our communication was fine. It just, this is something that had never happened before for UTD. So they weren't, they were unsure as well. Um, so in that, I think we also have to give space to the folks who are making decisions that are above you because it might seem chaotic. And most of them, this is a new experience too. Uh, navigating a pandemic, <laughs> how do you do that? Um, there's, there's no playbook for those things. Um, and so it's definitely a lot of grace extended not to, just your team for navigating these incredible situations, but also the folks that are actually making the decisions because they have way more things to, uh, to consider. Uh, and so we're just filtering information down. But yeah, preparation, take some wilderness survival courses. Uh, <laughs> keep I'm some water and some food. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. But yeah, always you know, keep email addresses and text and, and phone numbers of, of your team. Uh, in case you know power does go down, you can you can't send a team's message. As long as you can make sure that they're okay and, and addresses if you need to pick folks up. That was you know some of the main things that were comforting. Yeah, thank you for that, Dr. Johnson. I don't want to do it again though. Uh, <laughs> but if you had to, you know what to do. <laughs> yes, I'm more prepared now for a, a hurricane or actually anything else for that matter um, than than I was then in the past. I mean, if, if we need fire, I can make a fire with a bow drill. So I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> All right. So if there is a weather emergency at the next NCLCA conference, find Dr. Johnson.
Right. Yeah, we can you know, get some that. some wild edibles and make some fire and can make a shelter out of some some branches. Perfect. Happy to help. All right. So my last question for you, sort of piggybacks off of that kind of professional development, I guess. I'm trying to make this transition. Don't know if it's working. But Just go for speaking it. Just of go growth, for it. <laughs> um, something that I know I experienced working with you is that you are a big advocate for like personal and professional development, you know, having personal goals or having those five-year plans or something that helps you kind of see where your next moves are and what you're trying to accomplish. So what um maybe what is the value of having kind of planning like that? Or what would you recommend to um learning center professionals who are looking to kind of create goals or plans for themselves? That's a, that's a really good question. I think the value of having some sort of professional development plan is to put yourself in, in some path or direction, um, to not just show up to work every day and just to show up to work, but to be working towards something while you're working. Uh, a new skill, a language, a uh, certification, something that will enhance your current skill set, but also provide you with the skill set to make the transition to the next job. One of the things that I was probably borderline belligerent on at, at while I was at Florida was asking you all, what are, what are you doing next? Like, where are you going? Like, I don't, I don't want you here for five plus years and you're like, you're still in the same job with no, with no new skills. Uh, and so, you know, going to conferences, encouraging you to to participate and not just to attend but to present you know do some research start a new program i, I pretty much gave you all latitude to do whatever within reason um, as long as it you know somebody didn't get hurt uh, then it was pretty much okay and and that's because it, it was an experience right if it didn't work okay didn't work go back and figure out why it didn't work and maybe we shelve it or you go back and fix it but if if you don't try something, um, then I feel that's when people either start hating their job, things get stagnant. Um, so having a plan in five years, I want to do whatever it is. I want to have be a LCLC level three. I want to have presented at least two conferences. Um, I want to have a podcast for, for NCLCA, you know, whatever it is. And then when you have when you've developed that, then I like to, to look at that plan. Oh, I think Dr. Johnson um, has been kicked out of the room, but we will bring him back in. But I loved everything that he was saying, Kelsey, about oh, yeah. um, just the importance of professional development and the fact that he can actually see it from that lens being a um, professional in the field. Um, I think that's a very good supervisor perspective. Um, I think being a tutor coordinator, I have had the privilege of seeing tutors grow from the beginning, you know, mm -hmm. until the end, meaning like I see them their freshman year and then I see them their senior year. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, that is like the aha moment, the growth, the fact that they've, you can tell the growth based off just your conversation with them, their mm -hmm. goals now, right? Sometimes students come in, they're like, I don't know what I want to do. And then they start trying things and then they do. And there's some students who come in, they do know what they want to do. And they hit those goals and you see them along the way, hit those goals, but also um, navigate themselves through any challenges that they might have as well. So with that being said, um, I think that that's a good perspective. I'm, I'm, I'm going to steal that from him to always have that um professional development perspective in mind as a as a as a leader you know in a department so i like that dr johnson yeah 
Did you okay. want to finish it off? I basically just complimented you and said, thank you for that. A lot of other supervisors probably, mm-hmm. you know, that's a perspective I'm going to steal from you. You know, always be thinking about your professional staff or your staff and that next step for them. Ask them about those next steps and encourage them to do that. That's fine. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure exactly when I, I froze. You froze. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't a good, like you were like finishing like a, a good solid thought. Yeah. Sweet. It'll get edited by Jesse. So you don't have to worry about anything. Cool. All right. That works for me. <laughs> so I'm going to give you one last question then before we leave. Right. And that will be one of the things that you advocate for in your teams is having clear professional goals and plans. Is that the one you already asked, Kelsey? I'm sorry. Yeah, never mind. Jesse, just we'll let you know when we're back on track. <laughs> <laughs> so at this point, I'll say thank you so much again, Dr. Johnson, for being with us today. We so appreciate it. Um, you taking time out of your busy schedule. Good luck in Texas. I will say that we do miss you in Florida. So we, I hope to definitely be able to connect at the upcoming NCLCA conference that's going to be happening. Is it Alabama? Yeah, Birmingham. I did it, Alabama. We may need to take that out too. But I will say that I'm excited <laughs> to see you potentially at the conference coming up um, for NCLCA. Fantastic. I hope to see you and, and many other folks. Uh, yeah. There, you know. Maybe we'll have some NCLCA masks. I don't know. You know, I think so. This and this is what I was thinking of. You know how it took the students a little time to kind of get into the virtual. You know, I think it may take us a little time to kind of get into the in-person. But I also think it's just more of a a budget thing, right? I don't know how everybody's budget is looking this year. Um, I'm going to go regardless. Okay. (laughs) I mean, I'm just going to fish, you know, take out my own funds in order to do it. Um, Because to me, professional development is just that important. For me, um, it does take me a while sometimes to like maybe like get things, understand stuff. So having other people to bounce ideas off of, that's been super helpful. So, yeah, that's that's what it's there for. I mean, we we have to do something that you know allows us to build a skill set. I think that's how learning centers grow. We share information. Uh, we we provide opportunities for our our teams and our staff to to learn new things, and then you bring it back, implement it. And then your students benefit. Like it's it's not just a oh I'm going to make me better kind of thing. Yeah. Like there's a direct connection between what you're going to learn, try something new. Your students will benefit. It's going to be a new experience. It's going to be a new type of training. And then ultimately the university benefits. So there's a a flow of the outcomes of professional development. It doesn't just stop with you as an individual. Agree. It does not just stop with us as an individual. So lifelong learning. All right. With that being said, thank you again, Dr. Johnson. I am going to close us out with a few announcements. All right. It was a pleasure. Thank you all again. Do not miss our upcoming webinars on Friday, July the 9th. Join Eve Solbrecken for high quality, inexpensive, and efficient academic coaching for every institution. And on Friday, August the 13th, join Leonard Geds for Escaping Academic Transition Traps, Navigating Colleges, Hidden Gaps, and Troublesome Traps. <laughs> NCLCA is pleased to be a founding partner with the Council of Learning Assistant and Development Education Associations. And if you're looking to certify your center, visit our website at nclca.org events for more information. Thank you for tuning in to NCLCA today. And thank you, Dr. Johnson, for being with us. I'm your host, Patricia Hartley. And I am your host, Kelsey Fischel. Do not forget to visit nclca.org for more information and to participate in our forums, webinars, and to listen to previous podcasts at nclca.org slash podcasts with an S. 
NCLCA Today can also be found wherever you listen to your podcasts. And that concludes our NCLCA Today episode number 10.